welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, presented by Exo Mountain Gear. This podcast and the gear that we produce at Exo Mountain Gear share the same purpose, to make you a more capable, confident, and successful backcountry hunter. This show is all about providing you with valuable information from experienced hunters. To learn more about the podcast or about our backcountry hunting packs, visit exomountaingear.com. Well, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast. We are continuing our roundtable series this month here in July of 2019. This week's topic is mistakes and lessons learned. So when you think of experienced hunters and very successful hunters, and especially if you just look at things like social media, sometimes you would think that all these guys, all they ever do is have success. And while these guys we've talked to in this episode are very, very successful, they've made mistakes just like you, just like me. They've made mistakes and learned from them. So I wanted to find out, like, what specific mistakes did they make in their hunting career and their hunting history that they still think about today or maybe that they struggle with today? Or how did they find success specifically because they've made certain mistakes firsthand? So that's what we talk about today, mistakes and lessons learned in the roundtable. Before we dive into that, a couple of things. The Hoyt Giveaway. This month, again, July of 2019, if you're listening to this then, be sure to visit xomountgear.com forward slash podcast. It takes just a couple seconds to enter, and we're giving away a brand new Hoyt Helix bow. So, great opportunity. No reason to not get entered to win a new bow. Like, who doesn't want that? So, again, xomountgear.com forward slash podcast. Takes a couple seconds. Hit pause. Go do that now. Also, uh, speaking of giveaways, Mountain Man Lucky. That's the screen name of a review that we got that we really appreciated. And we want to send you some Exo Mountain Gear Hunt Backcountry Podcast swag. So send us your shipping address to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We will get you set up. And listeners, if you want to enter these giveaways, it's really simple. We just want to hear from you. Leave us a review in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all the millions of places you can listen to this podcast. If you can leave us a review there, that helps us tremendously. You can also just email us directly with your questions, comments, suggestions, etc., to podcasts at exomongear.com. I'm sure you guys hear that all the time because we say it almost every episode. Don't tune that out. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email if it's a question, if it's a topic, just something you're curious about, whether that's gear or tactics or the podcast or exomont, like anything. Send us your question. Maybe we'll tackle that on a Monday minute or something. So again, just podcasts at exomongear.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this roundtable discussion with mistakes and lessons learned. First up is Ryan Lampers. Man, I think uh, I think when it comes to mistakes and lessons learned, um, this is one of the things that bit me in the in the backside way too many times. Um, you know, archery hunting for for early season bucks and. Um, you know, I think always trying to, especially when, when I, I remember when I first started chasing, chasing muleys with a bow, you know, you see these giants that, um, that you don't typically see during late season rifle and all that. And, and, uh, you just want to get on those bucks so bad, um, that you go a little bit too fast. Uh, you tend to push things a little bit, you get a little reckless in your stocking. Um, a lot of times you try to beat the wind, which, you know, I, I've, tried to do and had it handed to me way too many times trying to beat the wind 
Um, I know one of the things that got me over and over and over again is when I had a, I'd have a buck, you know, perched on a ridge or close to it, you know, just down from a ridge and trying to get around the backside of that buck, um, you know, on that, on that wayward side and having the wind, you know, going up, you know, these evening or these afternoon thermals, you know, you kind of, it was always a mystery like, okay, so I'm going up winds to my back on the other side of the hill. I'm trying to get up and over. What's that, what's that wind doing once it hits the top. Right. Um, and that leeward side, yeah, you always kind of figure, well, it's gotta be coming up on that side too. I don't know how many times I've tried that and, uh, hoping that the wind was coming up on that opposite side and, you know, you get up there and you take your time and you're peeking over looking for antler tips and, um, generally they're not there. You see that wind swirls off the top and it seems like, um, I don't have any stats or I, I don't know exactly what it does, but it sure seems like that those top 50 yards on the, on the crest of a hill, it's just like it swirls and I don't know, it always seems to blow the buck out and, I've, uh, I've made the mistake of trying to come up that backside, expecting the wind to just keep going up, I guess. Um, and typically it doesn't do that. It, it ends up swirling and, and, uh, getting them. So, uh, I've, I've tried to, uh, tailor that coming up more from the side and, and, or waiting out the buck to get him perched in a different spot, but I've had real bad luck trying to get bucks perched on the you know, the, the high side of a hill with, with an afternoon thermal. I don't know why, but that's, that's one of the mistakes that, um, I've really kind of, uh, jumps to mind when I think about, uh, some of the good ones and, and, uh, opportunities that I've failed on. But, um, man, yeah, I could probably talk an hour on mistakes. Um, one other mistake I've, I've talked about before, and that's, uh, uh, staying on top of the hill in a lightning storm probably the most important mistake that I've learned from, um, is, uh, not risking it, not hoping that it's going to blow by the lightning storm's going to blow by and you're going to be safe and all that. Um, I've had, <clears throat> I've had an incident where it's just, you know, I parked under a rock, just waiting for this thing to blow out and, uh, and lightning just starts firing off all over the place. And, and, um, you know, you, <laughs> it's not worth staying on the top of the hill to save some of your, uh, you know, some of your energy. It's, it's much better to probably dive off, which is what I do now and uh, get to a lower elevation where you're not parked on the top, just inviting those lightning strikes. I've been super fortunate. I've never been hit. I know a lot of people have, but that's one of the mistakes that, um, that I think of like, you know, for a younger guy, um, you know, I was super lucky. I had a strike hit me, hit, hit close to me at like 30 yards in front of me. And, and, uh, man, that got my attention. So that was like, that was like the one moment that jumped out where I figured gosh, dang it, I better, I better get smarter. I'm going to die doing this, this stuff I love. So that's, that's definitely a mistake I'd pay attention to. And, um, as soon as those lightning storms come in, especially in places like Colorado or Nevada, um, where it just seems to be electric on the top sometimes, um, just dropping elevation, getting out those tops and getting out of the storm and uh, waiting it out is uh, probably much more important than, than saving energy. So, Do you have a general rule for how much you're trying to drop or it's probably pretty situational depending on the geography there you're at? 
Yeah, it really is. Um, <laughs> you always you don't want to drop too much, but uh, you just want to get down to where you're feeling a little bit safer. And um, I just try to get off those tops. And I understand you know that those lightning they could they could get you anywhere on the hill really, but just seems to be those tops. Um, man, they just get lit up sometimes in those big trees. But um, I don't know. I you know 500 feet. I guess um, that's kind mm-hmm. of been what seems to be a an average of getting down and, and getting where I feel a little bit safer. That's been one of the mistakes I think I've, uh, I've grown up and uh, matured from and figured out I'm not going to, I'm not going to risk it and uh, stay on the tops. Next up, let's hear from our very own Steve Speck. Yeah, for me, it's a, I would say kind of sound corny, but it was probably a 10 year journey of becoming a good hunter. I started out uh, bow hunting when I was 18 years old. I, one of my best friends bow hunted. I went over to his house one day, shot a bow instantly became like, this is freaking awesome. Bought a bow the next day and, and uh, you know, I'm just turned 35. So I've been doing it ever since then. Um, the first five years we just ran around with our heads cut off in the woods. Everyone told you, uh, just keep hiking, keep working hard. Eventually you'll get an opportunity. And so we kind of had that mantra of, especially elk hunting. We were just, we just kind of walked around blindly and we hunted hard. We, we hunted, we were hiking an hour before the sun came up. We hunted until dark every single day. Um, we really, we worked our butts off, but it was, there wasn't a lot of thought put into it, right? We weren't very conscious about what we were doing. We just knew we had to cover miles. And then, so that was my elk hunting early on. And then and we were able to be uh, successful. I killed, uh, you know, I killed like a cow my first two years and I killed a spike and I killed a small raghorn and able to kill something every year, but it, it, we were working our freaking tails off for it. Um, and at the same time, my first few years here in, um, in outside of Boise, we have a, a late season draw hunt, uh, that's a migration hunt where deer pile in there and it's pretty good odds to draw. It's gotten a little worse, but it used to be almost like an 80% chance. And I drew it four or five years in a row, I think. Um, and the problem with that hunt for me as an early hunter was there was so much opportunity. There was no penalty for screwing something up. So if I'd, I'd find a buck, I'd stock it. It'd be the super quick 15 minute or maybe one hour kind of stock. I'd blow it up. I'd get frustrated, but then all I had to do was hike another 400 yards and then there'd be another buck to glass. And obviously I'm, you know, just starting out. So any legal buck I was, which is any buck, um, I was going after, you know, any, if it was a two point or three point or whatever, it didn't matter. Um, so that it, I developed really bad habits early on of not being patient, feeling like I was rushed, that I had to like go immediately after any animal I saw, I've got to go get there right now and go kill it. And, you know, I think I started really paying attention to the successful people that I knew, uh, successful people that I hunted with. Um, and the, you know, there were a lot of consistencies there. And one of and the main one was just patience. Uh, these guys hunted very slow, very methodically. They were never in a rush. They were never running around the mountain. You know, here I am like just sweating my balls off running up and down the hills, trying to create every opportunity I can. And, and the, you know, some of these guys I can think of are just, 
just kind of like, you know, la da da, walking through the woods and taking their time, and yet they managed to kill something. So for me, the lesson, kind of big picture, was just slowing the F down and taking my time while I'm out in the woods, paying attention to everything, and um, just being a way more patient hunter. And, and it pays, uh, pays dividends, I think. So, uh, yeah, that was my, my mistake. I was, uh, too, too much of a hurry, too much of a rush, making mistakes and, and just needed to slow down. And now we'll hear from Russ Meyer. I guess one of the bigger things that, I, that I've learned, um, you know, through mistakes it's kind of going back. We were talking, we were touching on a little bit earlier. I mean, obviously you can have the best gear. You can be in the best shape. You can, you know, get yourself as knowledgeable as possible. Um, but I think most mistakes that people talk about or you hear about, especially, or that, you know, live with you for years, to, years to come, um, is missed opportunities, right? And missed opportunities, meaning not capitalizing on your opportunity. Um, depending on where you hunt and, and your, you know, what you're doing, um, like in Idaho, most of my bow hunting career, you have very limited opportunities to actually get your bow drawn back in a controlled environment and make the shot. Um, so early on, I, uh, I think I was lucky in the sense that I shot so much. I mean, I'd go into the bow range here in Nampa bow chiefs and I'd literally go in the evening and come out when the sun's coming up. Cause you have, can have a pass, you know, just be in there as long as you want. So my body was pretty instinctive to the whole shot process and it just happening. Um, and I just had so much tenacity about and, and passion for flight of the arrow and bow hunting that it was really easy for me to just, uh, shoot and shoot and shoot. And then, um, you know, I guess kind of going back to it is, is learning how at the moment of truth, to take that even extra one or two seconds to make sure you're going to hit it and just be able to consciously tell yourself, I'm going to make a good shot or I'm making a good shot, or this isn't right. I just have to let down, you know, even if it's take three more breaths, control yourself, get drawn back again and making it happen. Um, so that's, that's one of my biggest things I still work on to this day, you know, 28 years later, it's the mentality of uh, capitalizing on your opportunity and visualizing that even before the hunt. I've always been a big visualizer with sports and, 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 and competition stuff, whatever it is. Um, but visualization is super key to me and just visualizing those, you know, those encounters, those situations, you know, I've spent a lot of sleepless nights, just, you know, like <laughs> with anything you're passionate about, um, it's like going into a game, you know, the night before you're just going through everything in your head and, and that's always been a, 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 I think for me, um, early on making mistakes and blowing opportunities, I really focused on capitalizing on your opportunity. Everything else aside, you know, if you hunt enough, you're going to stumble into opportunities. Um, and fortunately, I was, I spent enough time and learned early on um, how to capitalize. I think it is, is from mistakes and lessons learned. That's one of my biggest lessons. Here's Nathan Jones on mistakes he's made and lessons he's learned. You know, Nate Jones, if, if you want to talk about mistakes, you called the right guy. 
You know, I, 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 I make mistakes. I usually make them the hard way. Um, and sometimes over and over again. Right. But for me, I think my process has evolved. Um, in, in instead of specific mistakes that stick with me, I think about probably how I analyze mistakes. Um, so I'd say that I, 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 I tend to, I tend to dwell on them. To be honest with you, I, I, my process with mistakes is kind of my way of allowing myself to not, not allowing myself to become complacent. So, I, I, te- I tend to dwell on mistakes. Not, not. I feel like it's not in a negative way, but it's definitely I, I focus on them and I focus on how I can get better. So, for for instance, like last last elk season, for example, you know, my dad and I were you know, public land, Oregon, archery elk season. It's, 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 you know, it's a, it's a, it's a challenging hunt. And we, we both killed bulls. Uh, my dad killed actually his biggest bull. Um, and it was, it was a, like a 320 class six point. And I killed, you know, really nice, respectable, heavy horn six point. That's beautiful bulls. Right. But the, 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 the thing was we only saw four, elk in in a week's time you know we could hard hunt and we've seen four elk and two of those elk were the ones we killed so i mean there's there's a lot to be proud of there you know we both pulled out good six point bulls and very low low elk numbers but you know the thing that i always think about and i'm and i and i obsess about was was my shot i and it wasn't even that bad of one but I, the the bull came in. He came in kind of fast, and um, I didn't have time to range him. And that's usually one thing that I'm I'm really really adamant about is is ranging animals when I shoot. I'm not particularly good at at just judging yardage in the field, um, so I always try to like to range. But the bull was you know top pin kind of scenario, um, and when I released, I knew I knew he was maybe quartered just slightly. Um, slightly to me, but, but I got the bull. I mean, he didn't go very far, but it, it, it took a little longer. I had to leave him and back out and came back in and, and found him. Um, so, so the point is, it's like, there was a lot to be proud of on this hunt. Um, but the, but well, all I can really think on over and over and over again is driving home the, the potential that. It wasn't even necessarily a mistake, but there was potential there for error. And, and so I dwell on that and how I can get better and how I can get better. And, and it, I guess it's a weird way of not allowing myself to just get complacent in my success and really focus on areas that I can get better. Um, and another example of last year was um, my brother-in-law and I went to Wyoming. And um, he killed his first bull uh, with bow. is was great. Um, and I just, I never had an opportunity, um, to even draw my bow, really. Uh, it was just a, it was just kind of a tough, tough, tough hunt. Um, only had, only had a week. So I came back. I came back in rifle season, killed a nice bull, um, one that anybody would be proud of. And, and so there's a, there's a lot of good that came out of it. You know, I, I didn't give up. I came back. I, you know, canceled another hunt so I could go back and make good on this one. But 
really to this day I still focus on that my inability to get it done during archery season and I and I and I focus on that well what did I do what do I need to do different what can I do do I need to go further do I need to was it was it my calling was it you know the anyway it's just my process I think that's what I really try to focus on and I and I need to manage it in a healthy way to not make sure that I dwell on maybe my kids' mistakes or wife's mistakes, things like that, because that's not how I think normal people process um, their shortcomings. But for me, it works well. It, it allows me to kind of to, to stay hungry, basically. So I, I could go into detail of more, more mistakes, more hunts, but I think that it, that in a nutshell, um, that's, that's really been a, a, a way for me to take negative situations and 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 just make me better from them and here's cody kelm of born and raised outdoors so i think the biggest uh you know things that we've learned over the years and is uh, especially for us calling elk there is no um wrong or right answer to the situation there's adjustment on the fly based on previous experiences and whether that previous experience was a mistake that we made, um, you know, 10 years ago on a bull that like th- those are all kind of coming back. And I always store those in the back of my head of, you know, how, and I think overall we've probably been too aggressive in some situations. And in the last few years, we've learned to be patient when we need to be patient. Um, Overall, we are, are very aggressive. We cover as much country as possible. But when we do get on a bull, instead of just uh, rambushing is what we used to call it, <laughs> where we're just going to go straight at him, you know, we're going to cut him off and get him pissed off. We're going to call him in. We definitely assess the situation based on how his uh, – and it, it, it all kind of runs on that emotion level and trying to get spur that emotion reaction to get him mad um, sometimes doesn't necessarily mean screaming at the top of his head. Although, I mean, case in point, when we were on that, uh, that bull on, uh, in Idaho, the second day after the first day, you know, we slow played him in his bed. The second day he was up on his feet and we went after him in a different tactic kind of cause, you know, and that was more of like a rambush a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, hindsight was it the right move i don't know i mean we had him close just couldn't get a shot but um we i think every the thing that we've learned over the years is like every situation is going to be different and you can't just go at it be like okay the bull did this let's look at the book okay that means i need to do this like it's a it's a um it's a science and an art and a mix of calling elk and um taking those mistakes you've learned over the years of either being too quick or, you know, I mean, not paying attention to the wind or the time and understanding like those things are going to change what the topography is, what the sun is doing. Um, there's, it's like this, this big dynamic thing and, um, it's always kind of changing and moving. And so you have to make little tiny adjustments, whether it's your position or how you're sounding. Um, I don't know if it's been like, so much we've made so many mistakes over the years it's like we're gonna make mistakes you can't get down on yourself when you do because that's when you like 
kind of give up on your, you know, if you don't, you have to have com- some confidence in it and mistakes are going to happen. You got to understand that, but, um, you know, just keeping after it. So. And with the final segment for this episode, here's Ben Gatormson. If you're not making mistakes when you're in the field, you're probably not in the field. If, if, if you're out there doing it, you're making mistakes and, and you're constantly learning. Um, I'm going to go way back. Um, my, uh, you know, I didn't kind of tell a little story about the first bull I ever killed in the years preceding that. Um, I think a lot of guys get stuck in the, in a rut when it comes to their, their particular tactic that they like to use. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll cite elk because it's, uh, it's, it's my, you know, my favorite species to hunt. Um, you know, and there's, there's multiple ways to hunt elk. You can, um, you can, you know, you can spot and stalk, you can call, you can ambush, you can sit, uh, you know, a tree stand, you can perfect your calling, you know, kind of try to play out scenarios in your head. And, uh, my first, my first bull elk was kind of a rodeo. Um, it was a day hunt, um, deep in the back country, like, I'm green. I'm, I'm from the Midwest. I've, I've moved to Montana. Um, I, I haven't lived in Montana long enough to have a resident license, but I knew I was moving. I applied for a non-resident tag. I was drawn for a non-resident tag and I'm like, I've looked over maps and I, I have this just mindset of, I'm I'm just going to, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to hunt. And I was looking at areas that were way, way beyond my, my physical abilities in terms of getting in, you know, I'm, I'm, I was looking at areas that were 10, 15 miles in, you know, I think, I think there was one spot I Google earthed and kind of picked out a spot. I'm like, yeah, there's gotta be elk here. That was like 23 miles in on foot. And I'm, you know, just thinking, yeah, just, I'll just go slow and steady and I'll be fine. And, and gear has come a long way in, in regard to that. And back, you know, this was 11, 12 years ago. And, um, you know, the, the lightest stuff wasn't really considered in the, in the hunting segment at that time. I mean, you, you were dealing with, you know, different stuff. So anyway, I ended up not, not really doing any of those super long ones. And then I had this wild hair. I was going to go up the drainage with uh, a, a guy that I'd met shortly after moving to Montana and, um, we were nine miles in on a day hunt and got into a group of elk and it was in the afternoon. It was kind of one of those deals where, you know, you do that afternoon siesta, that early afternoon. We woke up about three o'clock from a nap and we're like, yeah, well, let's, uh, let's get moving. And lo and behold, you know, we had walked into this draw that there was a decent herd of elk and these elk started kind of bugling back and forth and we worked down in and we got into them. And, you know, at, at that point in time, calling, um, was kind of the only way that I knew how to hunt elk. And the years <clears throat> preceding that hunt, I, I looked at the only way to kill an elk would be to call, you know, besides your, your ambush. It's not like a white tail hunt where you're going to sit on a deer trail or, you know, their movement patterns, you know, there's lots, of, there's more area that there's not elk than there 
are areas that there are elk when you get in the mountains. So, um, and, and I think for, for the, the couple years preceding that, I just kind of walked around thinking, I'm just going to bugle that elk and, and cow call it elk. And, you know, one's going to walk in every year and, and I'm going to make a shot on that animal and I'm going to fill my tag. And I struggled for a couple years after that kind of being single track minded on it. And I think a lot of people get that in their head that there's, there's uh there's a right way and a wrong way. And what I learned, you know, in terms of that, I mean, I don't consider it a mistake, but like I say, you're always learning is, um, when you start looking at every scenario as an individual scenario and be like, what tactic is going to be most useful in this scenario, be it stalking an animal or, um, you know, setting up to do a call sequence and judging each one, you know, you can't go in with the same plan every single time and expect to be successful because every bull's in a different mindset. And, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of people that I think get stuck in a rut like that. And they're like, that's the only way I'm going to kill one. And, and granted there's interacting with an animal via calls is, is way more fun. And it's, it can be more rewarding because you're affecting that animal's movements based on what you're doing, you know? Um, so a lot of people get a lot out of that. And I think calling is the, is, you know, for elk is the most, um, it's the most common tactic used. But what I found is that, you know, there's scenarios for calling that work a higher percentage of scenarios that don't. And if you, if you learn those, you know, you get those, those key points. Um, you know, I, I called in a bull this last year for a good friend of mine. It was, uh, a situation where a large group of bulls and cows, we located them right away in the morning. Um, they had been up obviously all night and they were pretty quickly moving towards the bedding area. And we got down ahead of them. I knew kind of right where they were going. I hadn't blown a call all morning. And this is from sun up, you know, that first or second week in September till mid you know, mid morning, say nine, nine thirty in the morning, I hadn't blown a single call with the, the intentions of, of purely intercepting them. And, um, elk are pretty predictable unless you interject certain things. So, you know, you listen to a bull bugle with his cows on his own, you get him to bugle from a distance, maybe with a locate call. And one of the most effective things that I found is that, you know, you move in, and you, in your head, you try to play what, where they're headed, what they're doing. If they're going to move down into a bedding area, maybe on a bench or, or something like that, you know, you, you have to kind of predict what they're going to do. You can't just kind of rush in. And in my experience calling, because it seems like nine out of 10 times you, you set up for a calling sequence, the animals push the other way. Maybe the wind isn't perfect. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that I think the animals, you know, that are pressured by callers, they, they know the difference, you know, they can, they can tell the difference between a caller and, uh, 
um, and a real animal, just like you and I, when we're sitting out on the hills, you know, maybe taking a rest in the afternoon, we hear a bugle, you know, we know when it's that Doug Flutie and when it might be a real bull and very seldom can you kind of, you, you kind of scratch your head and think, oh, I'm not sure. You know, most of the time your gut instinct on that's kind of right. And you got to figure these animals are out there and their number one job is to survive. And they've got the same thing going through their head. Is that a real elk or is that a person kind of a thing? So, but yeah, just, I guess knowing, you know, the, the biggest lesson that, that I, I take from the mistakes that I've made is just, you know, taking each individual scenario and, trying to find my most successful, you know, means of, of, or, or my most, the best plan I can. And that, that bull I called in, I hadn't called all morning. We got down in, he actually bedded with his cows. Uh, a, a, I don't know, probably a hundred, 150 yards from where our, our location was. And um, once those animals are comfortable and I feel like they bed down, that's when the bull is, is pretty susceptible to calling. So if you give them the time to kind of settle and bed down, you get half or two thirds of the cows that he's, he's got with them bedded and comfortable. Um, and then you give him a challenge bugle. He has to come. He can't round up his cows and push them the other way. And and that, in that scenario, that bull came on a string and, uh, my buddy made a good shot bull bull died within 20 25 yards um and that was that was a bull i called in you know the 2018 season and the the few bulls that i've pursued personally leading up to that i can say probably three or four of them i haven't done any calling at all you know i've I've done some locate bugles i've kind of got a general a direction in my head on where they're headed and then it's just knowing and uh having an idea of their movement patterns and getting ahead of them and in front of them. And, you know, when an elk comes into a call, you have that one opportunity to make a shot happen. If it's, if it's even offered when you're stalking in on an animal and you get within archery range, that bull can come by and not stop in that perfect opening you have. And that's still not the end of it. He, you know, he might work back into his cows away from you, but as long as your wind is good and you're patient about it, chances are that bull is going to come back onto the side that he just came on and come back by and give you another opportunity. He just might not stop. You know, and I, I've had situations where I've had bulls come by and uh, in those scenarios where they're not hypersensitive to anything in your direction. They're not looking for an elk that's been calling or anything like that, where they they'll just circle kind of swirl around their herd. And, um, I mean, that's, that to me gives a, a, a more solid opportunity. So, I mean, it's, there isn't a right and a wrong way to do it. I think I, I guess would the, is what the takeaway would be, but it's, it's learning when and where to use the different tools that you have. Well, that's a wrap for this one, guys, but not for this series. Be sure to tune back in next week for the next installment of The Roundtable. In the meantime, if you haven't yet, exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. You can enter the Hoyt Helix giveaway. Again, exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. You can do that there. Don't forget, you can contact us directly to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We'll catch you next week.